Coming to you from the San Jose Mercury News, the Bay Area News Group, it's the TK Show. Now here's your host, Tim Kawakami. Hey everybody, Tim Kawakami here, uh, live from Warriors headquarters of all things. We've dragged everybody out here. We even did the previous Warriors Plus Minus show, just got Mark's out here, because of my very, very, very honored guest, uh, the president of the Warriors, I think, and COO, is that correct? That's that's what we call yep. me. Yeah, yes. uh, and Major Domo, Rick Welts. Uh, great to have you on the on the show, Rick. Been meaning to have you on. Uh, what's going on? Uh, tell tell me what life is like when the Warriors are winning practically every game. Uh, you have certain, I'm sure, business plans out there. But what's life like for the president for a team that's doing this kind of stuff? Life uh, life's pretty good. Yeah. Not a lot of my uh, not a lot of my fellow co-workers or people at other teams have much sympathy for anything <laughs> I'm going through right now. We just came back from uh, having all the teams together in Miami yep. this week. And, uh, you know, as much as everybody's cheering our success, I'm not sure a few of the teams aren't getting a little tired of it. So uh, you got to love the ratings and the ticket purchases and all that, right? <laughs> I mean, have you felt that? Does that mean anything, I don't know, financially to you that, that you sell it every game and the ratings naturally are so big? Or is it just kind of an echo effect? Well, it uh, it has no direct benefit to the Warriors other than the fact that I think it's a phenomenon that league hasn't seen, you know, seen a few times in our history. Mm-hmm. You know, probably saw it with the Lakers team, saw it with the Chicago Bulls team, saw it with the Miami Heat team. But th- this is kind of the latest, and a lot of the teams are cheering our success for the reason you said. Like every arena in the in the country is sold out when the Warriors come to town now, and all the teams are enjoying that. When you were in Phoenix uh, with the Suns. Was that was that the Jordan? When did, did you feel the same kind of thing? What, what, what was that similar to? Would you say this is parallel to when you were at another team? Uh, somewhat like mm-hmm. that. Uh, the Suns had always had a, a great history. We were at a really low time when I got there. Went from winning 29 games one season to signing Steve Nash and going to 62 wins the next year, yep. which was an extraordinary experience. We haven't had anything like this here. Our, mm-hmm. our success has been more gradual, but. But, you know, I think there's a lot of parallels between the two. I think, you know, this team reminds me very much of that team, except we play defense. Yeah. We, we, weren't, we weren't high on defense yeah. in Phoenix. Yeah. Um, you have, I think I've heard now, a 20,000-person uh, wait list. And I don't want this to be a PR campaign for the, for the team somehow. I'll try not no to one, do that. Yeah, no one would ever accuse you of that. <laughs> yeah, I would hope so. But what, what does that mean? 20, I mean, you can't get through 20,000 people on a wait list. So what does that number mean? Uh, you know, I think it's a combination of things. It's obviously uh, a reflection on this amazing brand of basketball that's being played at Oracle Arena right now. Uh, but I also think uh, it's combined with the move to San Francisco mm-hmm. because I think people are hoping, are, are in queue to, yeah. to be able to be a part of that when that happens. Uh, so I, I think uh, it means that... Uh, uh, current season ticket holders have a lot of motivation to renew those season tickets because it may be a long time until they get them back. God, you hate that, right? Oh, that <laughs> team president must kill you that people are, these tickets are so valuable. Well, let's talk about that arena, obviously. Uh, the plans are there. Uh, they're certainly at the opposition from the Mission Bay Alliance, and they filed a lawsuit. Um, where does it stand in your mind? Like, is this just – I've heard – I think you might even told me that January is the month where you know this is all going to happen. Is this, settle, is this something that you have to get through now, or is it something that – by March, you think is going to be over with, and you're going to be well on your way to getting the stadium, uh, this arena done. Well, we've been thinking about this for a long time because, uh, you know, for a lot of reasons, the strategy of the Mission Bay Alliance has been pretty transparent. But uh, actually, I'm going to tell you for the first no. time that today, 
uh, we're officially uh, announcing that the arena will open in 2019 rather okay. than 2018 mm-hmm. in light of the uh, litigation that the Mission Bay Alliance well, has recently filed. And that can't be a real easy decision, but it's just something that practically you knew you weren't going to get shovel in the ground. That because it kind of worked back w- that way. Exactly. Yeah. It's it's uh, you know listen we bought into this process three years ago. Uh, this is part of the process. Anybody has the right to sue. Uh, so we accept that we're going to win. And, uh, but we do have, you know, every, every confidence that the 2019, uh, is going to happen. The project's in great shape right now on all fronts and we have a lawsuit we have to win. Do you have any discussions with that group, Mission Bay Alliance, has there been any, like, do you know who the people you would negotiate with would be? No, we're, 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 you know, they're filed in a way that they don't have to disclose uh, the individuals behind it. You can go on their website and yeah. see certain <laughs> names. Uh, you know, it's, it's kind of doesn't matter to us. Uh, their strategy from day one has been clear. We're going to litigate till the cows come home, uh, which they said before they saw, saw our EIR. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, you know, they're not focused on what San Francisco wants because San Francisco has spoken. We, you know, got unanimous votes from uh, the Planning Commission, unanimous vote from uh, OCII that has jurisdiction over the ER, got unanimous vote from the San Francisco Board of Supervisors. Uh, really unprecedented in San Francisco to get the broad range of support that we have. So this isn't reflective of what the city wants. It's reflective of what the individuals behind the Mission Bay Alliance want. And I think, uh, you know, we're pretty confident that in the courts that will be recognized and, you know, we'll be able to move forward on the project. Frustrating, though, to have to start Backing up a little bit here, I mean, Joe, we know Joe and Peter are go, go, go guys. You're certainly not somebody who's said, oh, we can just blow it off here. How frustrating is it from the ownership and for you to have to start backing up the date here? No, I think, you know, patience is not one of the virtues usually attached to the Warriors organization. And while it's frustrating, as I said, we've been planning for it for a long time because the strategy uh, from the Mission Bay Alliance has been pretty clear from the beginning that delay, delay, delay as much as possible and hopefully kill the project. Now that the project can't be killed. We've had our uh, EIR environmental impact report certified. We are through the approval process. Yeah. The only hope is that uh, they could find a judge that somehow agrees with them there's some fatal flaw in the EIR that, that would do nothing but send us back to try to correct that. Is that the last stage you talked about all the approvals? Once, if and when the lawsuit goes away, are you ready to put a shovel in the ground? We are. We'll be ready. And, uh, you know, there's about a 26-month construction period. We're building the whole project at the same time. I'm not sure, you know, it's a very complicated project. We're building three levels of parking below grade. We're building the arena. We're building two office towers. We're building 120,000 square feet of mostly restaurant retail all at the same time. That takes a little over you two years. You got clearing to do, too, I would have right. Sure, yeah. site preparation, yeah. and you know we got to go down three stories yeah. to to build the parking. So, but but we're you know we we will clear this litigation uh, and be able to put a shovel in the ground by the early 2017, and mm-hmm. that gives us a nice cushion and opening, uh, well ahead of the 1920 NBA season. So I know the lease with the Oakland Coliseum Arena is another. You could go another five years if I'm correct. So do you have to make any adjustments or is you just basically you're living by the terms of the agreement that you already had that you, you're not using the out, I guess, in other words? Well, uh, the, the lease expires at the end of the 15-16 the mm-hmm. season. So we've, we are in discussions right now on uh, with the JPA, the Joint Powers yeah. Authority that represents the city and county and running the complex, the stadium and the arena. Um, you know, and I am we have 
you know, we're very optimistic we're going to be able to negotiate uh, a deal that the city and county like and one that's fair to the Warriors and, and uh, you know, leave on a very high note. You don't, you don't have to tell me the whole thing, but, man, what is Joe's reaction when he hears? Uh, Joe, well, we're going to have to back this up again. <laughs> I know Joe well, a little bit, as you know. So, you, you know. do. You do. But, but uh, you also know that, that uh, he doesn't get his information that way. He's in the room, right? Yeah, so yeah. He's, he's a part of the discussion. And, you know, I think even on your show uh, in the past, he's said, look, you know, we're going to get this done as soon as we can possibly get this done. But there's certain things that are going to be out of our control. And this is one of those things that's out of our control. So you refocus and, and uh, you know, win the lawsuit and then put a shovel on the What's you know? I know you you must have general plans about this arena, and we all know about personal seat licenses. And I know I think Joe has said there probably will be part of the equation here. Have has, are there firm plans about PSLs? Do you know what number of seats you would be likely to be using with PSLs? It's uh, you know this is a completely unique project because of its financing, right? This is there's no other project like this in the country right now where the team, uh, at least in basketball, where the team is 100% privately financing this. And there's a lot of, there's still some variables out there, you know, uh, in order to do one of these things completely privately. Uh, for example, having a having a naming rights partner is incredibly important. And kind of if, depending upon how that goes, that has an effect on what else we have to do. Uh, where we feel confident in terms of ticket sales and suite sales, that has a piece of it. So we, we haven't finalized any plan yet, but uh, you know we're really optimistic that uh, that this is going to be successful. Listen, the other there are other teams in our league who aren't particularly thrilled with this model yeah. Uh, yeah. because, frankly, it wouldn't work in Sacramento or Milwaukee or Phoenix or other places that are talking about buildings. You couldn't you couldn't justify the level of private investment that's happening here because you couldn't possibly make it. Uh, you know, pencil out in the long run. But the Bay Area is such a unique market, and this is such a unique time that, uh, you know, we have a lot of confidence our model's going to work. And you're really good, Rick, but you didn't answer about PSLs. Well, because we, don't haven't, know. we know. haven't made a decision yeah. on exactly how we're going to handle it. The current model has how many uh, boxes in it, luxury boxes at this point? So now you're getting into some stuff we haven't really talked yeah. about. Uh, it's comparable to the number we have at Oracle Arena currently, uh, but they're configured. To 80 no, not yeah. that. Okay. Yeah, about 80. Yeah. Uh, but configured very differently, yeah. and I'm going to have to leave it at that okay. because we're doing a couple things that uh, are very unique in terms of uh, location and, and what that's going to look like. You know, part of what we've been focused on is, uh, to the greatest extent possible, keeping this amazing atmosphere yeah. that we have at Oracle. Two important decisions out of the box. Mm -hmm. One, we're not making this an NHL building, right? Okay. That's Period. the most period that's a, that's the more most important decision mm -hmm. you make because that allows you to bring the ends of the court in. it doesn't yeah. mean we couldn't accommodate the sharks for a preseason game mm -hmm. by taking out stands at one end of the uh, court and and playing there and we hope we will uh but it does probably preclude us from having an nhl 10 but that's great news for basketball fans because you keep the same sight lines and proximity that you have at oracle arena the second um you know, big decision we made was we're actually going to make the building smaller. Uh, okay. We're actually going to have 18,000 people inside for a Warriors game instead of 19,500. Mm -hmm. And, you know, we, you know, Joe, as you know, everyone in our organization, it's basketball first. It's going to be a great entertainment facility. Yeah. That's the other benefit of not going to the hockey configuration. It's going to be much better for concerts. The same sight lines uh, apply for concerts. So this is a basketball first and concert building, not a hockey building. And it's smaller than where we're playing now. And what makes Oracle so special 
is not the four walls that we play in, it's the people that are there. And we've promised every season ticket holder the right to come with us, and we've renewed 98% of our season ticket holders last year, and there are 20,000 people hoping to get into that club. Uh, so we have, we believe those people are coming with us, and that's what makes the atmosphere of Oracle special. Yeah, just kind of an off in the distance here, but I, you must have studied other teams when they move from one arena to another. What's the optimum number of season? You know, what's the number of season ticket holders percentage you would expect to come with you? Uh, I'd be thrilled uh, if we were somewhere in the eighty percent category, and I think that's a, a very much a possibility. I mean. Uh, proximity, you know, we're moving eight miles as the yeah. crow flies, and and thanks to our public transportation system, uh, anybody who's coming to our games using public transportation right now is going to have a very similar experience that they have coming to Oracle Arena. So, you know, certainly people have other factors in their lives that determine whether or not they can buy season tickets to uh, to an NBA team. But but we got a high level of confidence we're going to be bringing most of those fans with us. Joe has mentioned it, and I think you might even mention it to me that. You're really trying to get as close to the Oracle Lower Bowl with this arena. It, yeah. You know, again, things are said you don't know if you possibly. But is it almost like a almost angles and the way the seats are aligned? Is that is that what we're talking about? You're, you're trying to almost mimic that. You're exa that's exactly what we talk yeah. about. We talk about the angles of the seats. Mm -hmm. We talk about measuring, you know, from each current seat. Now there are, you know, from when that arena was built to uh, when we're building this one. Uh, there's some things that we can't replicate by law, okay? The Americans with Disabilities Act, ADA, you know, requires uh, in a new construction like this building to have better facilities f for physically handicapped people and some things like that that we have to add in. But to the extent that it's allowed by law and our, our architects are, are focused on creating, you know, as, as similar an experience as possible in the new building. Are you done with the blueprints or are there still alterations that are probable or possible. Yeah, if you want to come upstairs with me, i got a 400-page <laughs> yeah. book uh, that, that has every inch yeah. of, uh, of the, the building. We're, we're really set on the arena mm -hmm. itself. Uh, we're still in the development process on some of the things that surround it. We've pretty much got the office building uh, construction and design set, we, and we're just jumping into that on the retail component, the restaurant component that will surround the building. This might have been answered before in another time, but is the practice site going to be there, or do you not know that? No, it's been a yeah. uh, you know organizational priority yeah. from day one. You know what we what we love about where we're sitting right now is that the the whole organization is in the same place. Mm -hmm. Players come to work the same place that I come to work, same place that Joe and Peter come. Basketball staff, the coaching staff. We want to replicate that, but we're not in Oracle Arena here. We will be in the new arena in San Francisco. We're going to have two full-size NBA courts. Our players are going to use the same locker room whether they're coming to practice. Uh, you know, you're this beautiful podcast set that you have right <laughs> uh -oh, now. Wait a minute be, now. Yeah. We got to renegotiate it now. <laughs> uh, a TV studio is my understanding also possibly? We're, uh, we're talking to, uh, to some partners mm -hmm. about what else we can add that mm -hmm. would be from a media standpoint would, uh, would kind of enhance the situation we have now. So, I would, okay, let's just, on the 2019, 2018, 2019, you, would you stay, you're definitely going to stay at these headquarters until then, for sure. Yeah, one of yeah. my, uh, in the headquarters yeah. and at Oracle, obviously, uh, is our hope. Now, mm -hmm. our lease, we don't, we don't have a lease yet. Mm -hmm. uh, one of my first calls this morning was to the head of the JPA and to Mayor Shaft, just to let them know that we'd be 
telling you this wow. today. Wow. And that... Uh, listen, on, listen in, Libby. There you Actually, go. I think she does anyway. Yeah, but. and uh, letting them know that uh, while we had been talking to them about one guaranteed mm-hmm. additional year, we're now talking to them about two more seasons for sure in Oracle beyond our current lease. <sighs> Joe Lake and Peter Goober, um, they've certainly communicated a message to the fans, to the to, to the public from the beginning. I wonder what it's like when they call you to, to bring you into this organization. Is it is it exactly like we see them publicly? Is it what are they like right when they right at the get go? Rick Welts, we want you to come be the president of this team. What was that conversation like? It was maybe the most fun of my life. Right, I I had never met either one of them. We agreed on a time and a place, which actually was Joe's house. Mm-hmm. Uh, one of his many houses <laughs> his house in Atherton <laughs> yeah. uh, and we sat down we we're planning to be together for about an hour and I think we spent about four hours mm-hmm. together and uh, you know really was a one meeting discussion it, it, this is from a fan standpoint and for somebody who's lived in the business their whole life this is if, if you wanted to invent the guys who you would want to own the team that you love these are the two guys that would come out of the computer I mean they're incredibly different. They're unbelievably complementary in their skill set and their interests. And the one thing they share is passion, right? And and this is the center of their world. And they want to make sure that they're doing everything that they can to deliver the kind of uh, success that every fan would want to see happen. How much, uh, I mean, what, what would you say one thing you're proudest of? And it doesn't have to be the Rick Waltz did, but just your proudest off the basketball court about what this franchise has accomplished. And if it's something that you would do, certainly we'd be interested in that. But one thing. Well, you know, the answer will be successfully navigating these impossible waters of San Francisco (laughs) to move this team uh, back to where we, you know, back to our home when we first moved from Philadelphia. That, That is one of the real reasons I'm here because from day one, that was an opportunity that I knew would exist. Now, what we've done, I'm going to answer probably not the answer you would expect for what we've accomplished to this point. Um, and that's, frankly, what we've been able to do to establish ourselves in a very different way in the communities in which we live. Okay, we are the Bay Area's team. We're the only basketball team. Uh we had to tear apart the existing foundation that was here, create a new charitable foundation. We gifted a million and a half dollars next year. That's that's just the beginning of what we're going to be able to do. And fortunately, we have a roster, as you know, we have a roster of players uh, who get it. And, you know, I don't think any team in any sport has uh, a group of athletes like this who are more willing to use their 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 personal uh, personas in a way to try to make their communities a better place to live. And I know that sounds a little cliche, but I think it's really long term what is going to define the organization in terms of how people view us and how people think we, you know, took the stewardship of this thing. Look, nobody ever owns a team, right? And Joe and Peter, like, that, their names are on it, but, but the fans know that they own this team. And there were people before Joe and Peter, although Joe and Peter say they'll never sell at some point, maybe their grandkids will, you know, and it'll be in somebody else's hand. And we're going to get judged by our stewardship for the time that we were here. And and I think a big component of that's gonna be how we used this amazing platform that we have to to actually make this a better place to live. You know, Kobe Bryant comes through town and obviously we have the long discussions about his place and greatness and his iconic status. 
different kind of question for you as a someone who's been in the league for a long time and worked in the business side and, and been through all this and David so closely with David Stern who's your kind of Kobe who who's who's an executive that you put up there as saying that's an iconic executive and maybe take David out because we, we know about David is there I'm just kidding someone I don't know someone we all don't know is there who as executives come up the line who do they point to you know I'd pick Jerry Colangelo yeah. um, you know he's kind of I listen I didn't grew up with wealth I mm-hmm. you know I was I grew up in a middle-class house he's all of our heroes right mm-hmm. he grew up on the wrong side of the tracks in Chicago became the youngest general manager ever of the Chicago Bulls uh, when the Phoenix franchise started uh, he came to be mm-hmm. president of the Phoenix franchise and he was so successful he ended up being able to buy his team mm-hmm. right he, mm-hmm. he became an owner and then to see what he's done uh, after his NBA career with USA Basketball, now you know he can't resist. He's back with the <laughs> yes. 76ers. That's not but, a, that's not a tough job there, six <laughs> sixers at all. But you know, uh, there's a huge amount to admire mm-hmm. uh, in somebody who came from incredibly humble beginnings and really reached the pinnacle in our sport. What do you think about that? You know, you must know Adam Silver very well, and the reporting is, and it certainly has been denied that Adam had some influence on getting Colangelo directed to the Sixers. Maybe uh, the owners asked him. But is, is, is that the owner, the kind of, you know, uh, commissioner you see Adam being? Cause, you know, David was like that, right? David, behind the scenes, certainly influenced a lot of things. If owners would come to him, no, he wouldn't tell owners what to do. Do you see Adam? Like, is Adam that kind of behind-the-scenes consensus guy that David was? I'll get in trouble with Stern, but I would disagree with your mm-hmm. statement that David wouldn't tell owners <laughs> what to okay. do. Okay. I think the difference, the way I describe the difference between Adam and, and David, 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 I think, always had the organizational chart upside mm-hmm. down. <laughs> he kind of thought the owners worked for him. Mm-hmm. Uh, Adam clearly has a different mm-hmm. view. He wants a lot more input from the owners on important decisions in the league. Uh, both styles are very effective. Dictatorships are, are very efficient forms of government. And, uh, you know, the league, uh, you know, if you look at where David took over and 30 years later when he left, it's, it's not too hard to understand why the owners had such confidence in him. Adam came in in a very different way. Uh, you know, in some ways, uh, the curse uh, that was the Clipper situation was the greatest blessing sure. a new commissioner could ever have because it took somebody who'd been kind of David's sidekick mm-hmm. and turned him into a respected commissioner really overnight with the strength that he dealt with that situation in, in the most difficult of circumstances. Did you know Adam very well uh, before he became commissioner? Yeah, we yeah. worked for, well, I think, 12 years together mm-hmm. at the NBA when I was there. He, uh, from the first day that he got there until I left in, in 99. What, what would you say his personality? I mean, I, he seems lighter than David, you know, maybe, you know, not as, you know, I wouldn't, yeah, you said the dictatorship, you know, whatever that <laughs> word is. He's, you know, Dave was old school. We know that. Adam definitely, he's, you know, digital media. He's, he, he, was he always like that? Did you always sense that this was, he was going to take it in a, I don't know if I don't want to be criticizing David because David was incredibly successful. And we're not criticizing, but in a, in a lighter, maybe more thoughtful way. Is that is that a wrong no, interpretation I, I, of Adam? I think he's the right guy at the right yeah. time. I really do. I think he uh, he he's he where he does match David. You can't argue there's a difference in their intellectual curiosity. I mean, he's. He's an incredibly bright guy who's fascinated by things that he doesn't yet understand and wants to understand how new media, how other things are going to affect our game. He's concerned about social issues. He's, you know, I, I think there are many similarities between them, but his style is much more collaborative and inclusive. Uh, and and I think, you know, listen, they're, they're, it's easier to get things done in some ways if if you if you kind of ran the office like uh, David did, uh, Adam, make 
take a little more time to get to the result, but I think the results are going to be spectacular. How much contact does it, does the president of the team have with? I mean, now you're president of the number one team, defending champion. But how much contact do you have with Adam? You know, is it weekly? Is it a couple times a week? Is it? And does he check in with you? That kind of thing. Yeah. Well, he he and members of his staff come to the Bay Area probably every other month to visit with some of the really important companies that are kind of shaping our future here in uh, in the Bay Area. So we get more exposure uh, because of our geographic location. And then on top of that, obviously, our team success. And then, you know, we have a very long established personal relationship. So, I, you know, it's weekly, probably. I, I you know, sent him an email this morning. Uh, and he is the fastest email responder in the history of the universe. That's always good. So, uh, so I already got an email mm-hmm. back, but uh, you know, you want to know about Warriors plus minus and how's how's it going to go? Good luck. Well, probably. he was he was giving me some tips on the <laughs> Kawakami podcast. Actually, like, oh, wait, so. we got to avoid that one. Yeah. Uh, my, my last question on, on on this topic is, I always interested in in relationships between teams in, in the Bay Area and peer groups and conversations. Is there an executive or two on another team in the Bay Area that you've had conversations with that you, you know, either through admiration or just through you, you've met and you have conversations with and, and what can you share you know, on, on that kind of level? Yeah, I've actually, you know, later this month I'm hosting all the team presidents oh, really? uh, for, for a Warriors game. Mm-hmm. We're going to have dinner before mm-hmm. and, and go to a game, go to one of our games together. Uh, it's a very collaborative group and mm-hmm. very open. Uh, I would say just because of uh, the experience the 49ers had in building a new stadium, mm-hmm. uh, they have been unbelievably mm-hmm. generous to us in sharing their experience and their resources of doing that. Larry Bear has been great and you know, helping talk us through the political waters uh, of San he Francisco he that knows he knows them. he knows as well as anybody in the business. But you know, the A's, the Raiders, everybody. We're we're you know, it, it's a there's a bit of a fraternity. Yeah, I guess we're competitors at some level, but you know, we think when sports are successful, it's good for everybody in the market. Mm-hmm. And I think we have that kind of attitude. We've got to you know, including the earthquakes. You know, I don't want to leave them out. Mm-hmm. Uh, great relationship with all the other teams. All right, Rick, I'll, I'll leave you with a question I ask almost everybody. Uh, what's your favorite restaurant? You know, mine is a little Italian joint that's been there for 100 years mm-hmm. called Umbria. Okay. It's on the corner of uh, 2nd Street and Howard yep. uh, in San Francisco, and it's awesome. And uh, I'd I recommend the uh, Oxtail uh, oh, oh, next oh, that's time you go That's my dad's favorite, right okay. there. Okay. Very Have nice. Check it I out. like the dish specific specificity, yeah. if I yeah. can say that word out. Yeah. Uh, but very good, and we'll, we'll circle. I'm going to do a cookbook or something, maybe a some kind of book with all the restaurants recommendations on this show. There you go, Umbria. Uh, I don't think we've mentioned that. Everyone says Boulevard, which I can't argue with. But I'm, I'm, that's, that's a little fancy. Yeah, for pretty me. fancy. It's a little fancy for me. A little pricey, but <laughs> what's 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 money? You know what's money here? All right, everybody. Uh, great, great show with Rick. I appreciate you coming on. And breaking news—that's never terrible for the show. And uh, been meaning to have you on. And I'm, if you're going to keep breaking news, we'll just have you on next week. And you okay. got something else? See what we can come c- up c- with. Come on down here. And Rick's going to be the co-host eventually. I'm pretty sure. <laughs> uh, thank you very much, Rick. And we will we'll be back at Warriors headquarters, I'm sure, at some point. But we're wrapping it up from Warriors headquarters for now. Thanks, everybody.